0: Good morning. How is everyone? Alive and well and dancing on planet Earth. (laughs) Uh, Before I sit, I'll have you stand to read. Uh, Our table out there on the citizen stewardship with the flags there has a lot of information to help us. What we want to do between now and the upcoming elections, and really as a regular thing, is to Educate, equip, and encourage us as far as our citizenship in heaven affecting our citizenship here. And when I was with these kids, 200 kids, it just amplified again. We're now living with three of our grandsons. It amplifies again to me the the necessity that we understand what's going on in our country, our culture, and we can have a voice into it, and we must have a voice. Amen? So there's a flyer on, on the table there, this one particularly, where do candidates stand on the issues important to you? It's fantastic. It's real simple. You just scan this, the, uh, whatever that thing's called, the QR code. It'll take you, and if you want to know where these different candidates that are running are standing on certain these, some of these issues that are paramount to the very health of our nation, maybe the very existence, do it, okay? Would you, would you do that today on that thing? So would you stand? Hebrews chapter 5, we're gonna, I'm going to read beginning in verse chap, chapter 4, verse 14, take us through 5.11, We'll begin this uh, area now in talking about Jesus, our high priest. So uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Here we go. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all, all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also beset by weakness." Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he was called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, capital H, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was his son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called By God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Responsive reading is from Psalm 110. We'll talk about this psalm a little bit in our study this morning, much more as we go through these these next few chapters. If you can read the second verse, I'll read the first and odd verses together. Here we go. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord is is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside, therefore he shall lift up the head. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. Alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Your word, by keeping these things, is great reward. And so, Lord, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We're thankful we have your word in such abundance. We want your word to have us in abundance that our hearts would be surrendered and submitted to your truths, that we would walk in the light as you are in the light, that we would take these things that you're going to speak to us because every time we read the word, every time we hear it, every time we're seeking to hide it in our hearts, you are speaking, and Lord, I believe we believe that you will speak to us. Our hearts are open. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying this morning. I pray the things I prepared you, break them fresh, feed us, Lord. We are hungry for you. As a deer pants for the water brooks, so our souls thirst for you, O God, in a dry and thirsty land. When there is no water, Lord, you are the source of the living water. And so please pour out your spirit, I ask now in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. So the word of God, verse 12 of chapter 4, is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between thoughts and intents of the heart, There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to give account. So God knows all about us. There is nothing hidden from his sight. Jesus knows our every weakness. He knows our every temptation. He knows when we are being tempted to give in, to retaliate and fight back, to lose our temper and say things we ought not. He knows the powerful drive For human acceptance and applause, and the things we do to gain it. He knows our every circumstance and pressures, and how quick we are to excuse our sin because of them. He knows, he came, he died, he rose, he ascended, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high in the heavens. He is able to save to the guttermost those who call upon him. He is our high priest, would you say amen? He knows all about us. So in this context of chapter 4 going to chapter 5, we says seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are yet without sin. This is our Jesus that we're talking about. So he says, therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly. Wow. Why? That we obtain mercy, but we, we're not going to get what we deserve, and grace for God to pour out what we don't deserve on us because of his rich love that he has toward us. So there are three great principles of the Protestant Reformation. were these. No sacrifice but Calvary. No priest but Christ. No confessional but the throne of grace. Love it. So simple, so profound, so deep, so wide, so high, so low are the things of God. So the writer exhorts us to hold fast our confidence. Now in Hebrews chapter 3:1 he says, Therefore, holy brethren, partake of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. What is our confession? It's Christ Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession is Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10, 23, bracketing the one we have today. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of what? Our hope. We have no hope without our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Without wavering. Brothers and sisters in the Lord this morning, I want to say to you, do not waver in unbelief. Do not waver in fear. Let us hold fast our confession, this hope without wavering. for he who promised is faithful. Are you faithful? We're faithful. He remains faithful. He can't deny himself. I say, amen. Hold fast our confession. Hold fast the confession of our hope because God is faithful. And if he wasn't, we're in big trouble. (laughs) So the author is writing to the Hebrew Christians who were being tempted and in danger of turning back to a religiosity of seeking to gain an assurance of God's acceptance by their own works of righteousness through what was now an obsolete, vanishing covenant. you got to move on, because these other things need to vanish away if you're going to understand the greatness of our high priest, the greatness of the Son of God. So he's writing with one person in heart and mind. And you know who it is. One person and one person only. It's Jesus Christ in whom we put our faith from beginning to all eternity. It's Jesus Christ, the son of God, sole heir and creator of all things. These are things we've covered already in Hebrews. He's the captain of our salvation, the founder and leader. He's the apostle of our confession, the messenger and the message. He's the forerunner who goes before us He's the mediator who died for us and lives in us. He's the author and finisher, the source and the completer of everything in which we hope. I'm getting excited. <laughs> now, all of these things are worthy of our deepest and continual meditations. In fact, in the Bible, over about 200 names of Jesus and titles of Jesus. You want to start studying, Start just study the names of Jesus in the Bible but the book of hebrews is dominated with jesus as god's promised appointed and anointed high priest over the house of god that's what he's drawing us to and as i've said before in this what strikes me this time in teaching through hebrews is we're good we're aware of the fact that we need what he did past on the cross, he did on earth in his earthly ministry. We need that. We need to take that to heart for sure. But are we taking to heart the same, in the same way what he is now doing and accomplished for us in heaven as our great high priest? He's not dead, he's alive. Can I hear an amen? He's seated at the right hand of God. He's making intercession for us. How can we lose? We can't lose. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son Delivered from all freely for us, how shall we not with him, with him, without him, forget it, with him, give us all things. I'm getting excited. <laughs> the instruction and understanding are just as important for us as they were to them. We are just as prone to turn to man-centered religiosity in seeking to gain the assurance of God's acceptance by our own somewhat balancing goodness. Let me tell you what that is. One word, theological. That's baloney. (laughs) In so doing, listen carefully. In so doing, this is what Hebrews is talking about. In so doing, we are robbed of the rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay the full penalty of sin. We are robbed in the freedom, in the ongoing work of Jesus in us overcoming sin in this life, on this earth. We are robbed of the hope of heaven (laughs) where there will no longer be any sin. Tears wiped away, all things made new. See, that's what happened when we begin going back and away and falling away and falling back from our faith anchored behind the veil in Jesus Christ, who's a foreigner, entered for us in the veil. I want to say something, this, tell you this week. As I'm here with 191, I guess it was, little people in this, in this sanctuary and then walking around. What was it, 119 big people who were doing all the volunteering. And as Fabiana, that's why I asked her if she would do it, as Fabiana and the, and the team were leading these songs, in this animated selection of some old songs, really some that have been around forever, and then some new ones, I tell you, I was moved by the simplicity of the profound love of God poured out to children. Us, his children. Song... Jesus, the whole rendition of Jesus loves me. It's like the presence of God just invading my personal space that I loved. It's the same for you and me this morning. We have such a high priest. So, beginning to study into these things of the high priest, three things from this chapter, these verses Jesus is our great high priest. Aaron was the first of many high priests, but Jesus is our forever high priest. Jesus, our great high priest, Aaron was the first of many high priests, but Jesus is now our forever high priest. No sacrifice but Calvary, no priest but Christ, no confessional but the throne of grace. So in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, therefore in all things, he had to made like his brother that he may be, what, a merciful and faithful high priest in what? In things pertaining to God, that to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That is what the work of Jesus did. In things pertaining to God. We have this great high priest. He's passed through the heavens. He's passed through time and space and his seated at the right hand of God. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands them. He was tempted, experienced every weakness of human frailty. He was tempted as we are. It's common. 1 Corinthians, no temptation to overtake you, but such as is common to man. But God will, notice, with the temptation make a way of escape he may be able to bear. What's the way of escape? It's Jesus Christ, our great high priest. It's the Holy Spirit of God, the word of God. So this whole temptation is common to all. A mother heard the cookie jar being taken down in the other room. Willie, where are you? He answered he was in the pantry. What are you doing there? He said, I'm fighting temptation. <laughs> As Jay Vernon McGee said, this is not the place to fight temptation. This is the place to run. He will give a way of escape. Run for your life. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. So Hebrews 5 now. Aaron was the first of many high priests. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed four men in things pertaining to God that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. There were no other religions and have been none that ever had the true high priest in things pertaining to the one and only true God. The, th- these qualifications that Hebrews is talking about, that the Old Testament is filled with, were all a foreshadow. They were the of Jesus, who's the substance, pointing to Him. Take from among men, appointed for men in things pertaining to God. He must be a man. He must be able to represent man before God. He offers both gifts and sacrifice for sins. He must be a mediator who's able to bring men to God. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant of going astray since he himself is subject to weakness, is beset by weakness. Because of this, he's required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. Sinful man cannot approach a holy God, be consumed even the high priest on the day of atonement Aaron and those who followed Yom Kippur could not enter but once a year first after having first offered many sacrifices for himself and the people's sins Hebrews is going to tell us this was only reminding us again that the way was not made so long as that first tabernacle was standing in Hebrews 9, 7, but into the second part, of the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered, here is again, for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. The best definition I've ever heard of compassion is this, deal gently. It means to deal gently. Thy gentleness, the psalmist said, has made me great. That's one of my, a verse when I first heard it, it just stuck like glue in my heart. That God is gentle. Jesus had come to me, I'm gentle. And lowly, compassion is deal gently. He must have, be compassionate, able to understand what besets men, what besets the sinner. He must be understanding and sympathetic to weakness and sin. Even sins of ignorance must be atoned for, which says to me, reminds me that we all have a constant need for forgiveness. It doesn't change. In Job, we read, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. And he had his little people, ten of them, seven sons and three daughters, who were taken from a, by the devil. But before that happened in Job 1, it says, So it was, when the days of feast had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and, ber- and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all, his children. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Brothers and sisters, or more importantly, moms, dads, grandma, are you praying for your children? You see, there's a need they have. We have a need to be forgiven. All, never, we need to be forgiven constantly. And we need to give them that surrounding of our prayers constantly. Because we don't know what's going on in little hearts, but God does. And God said to those who would cause one of those little ones to stumble, woe to them. We in our in our hearts, the high priest, listen, the high priest was just a man like any other man. He was not called the high perfect. He wasn't called the Pope. He was a high priest, and so he was like all other men. It's not as though he had attained some high standing that others had not. His ministry was the outflow of the compassion of God to him. He understood his own constant need for a sacrifice, for forgiveness and compassion. And let me say, that is the undergirding of any depth of prayer that we might offer, intercession we might offer, help that we might offer. It's all from the heart that God's given to us and how He's offered us His compassion. You know, one sinner does not naturally have compassion for another sinner. By its very nature, sin makes us selfish, sin blinds our hearts to the hurt of others. Sin makes us hard and judgmental instead of compassionate. I was reminded of Eli with Hannah. And Hannah is beside herself there at the temple because she couldn't have a child. She didn't have a child. And so she's there. She's pouring her heart out to God. But she's so distraught, she can't even mouth, she can't even say words. She's just moving her mouth before God. And you just hear the weeping in her heart. And Eli looks at her and goes, "Woman, go sober up." I mean, he, he couldn't see in the heart of a broken ma- wannabe be mom. She says, "No,, I'm not drunk. I'm pouring my heart out to God." And when he understood that, then he blessed her, and she had little Samuel, but not without the agony of a heart. You know it's amazing. <laughs> how horrible my sins look on someone else. David and Bathsheba. David was an adulterer, he was a murderer, and he was a liar. This is King David, a man for God's own heart. He had sin, and had sinned. When Nathan tells David this story of this poor man with one ewe lamb that was taken forcefully by his wealthy neighbor... Nathan laying that out, David rose indignantly and said, the man is to be executed, put to death. (laughs) And how quickly David's attitude changed when Nathan said, David, you're the man. You're the man. And David was a man for God's own heart because in hearing that, he immediately broke before God. That's a heart after God. Because we all have sin. We all need the compassion of God. How quickly our tune changes for the good. When we hear from the Holy Spirit, you're the man. And there's this breaking that takes place. When we acknowledge our own constant need for the compassion of God, the forgiveness of God, it changes our lives radically. It also then puts into our hearts the very heart of God as far as a high priest and priestly work. God is a God of compassion in spite of repeated patterns of sinning. Gentle. Direct, but for our good. Second Chronicles, the Lord our, and the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early in the morning and sending them because he had compassion on his people. God sends the word, he sends the warning. Why? Because he wants to have compassion and deal gently. But it's not that the word of God doesn't come in like a hammer sometimes and breaks the stony heart. It does. Psalm 78, Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongue, For their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath, for he remembered that they were flesh and breath that passes away and does not come again. Psalm 86, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. And I say, thank you, God. He can have compassion. Jesus, his whole earthly ministry was one of compassion. He'd see the brokenness of lives and heal them. He'd see the emptiness even of a stomach and fill it. He tells his parable where it gets personal and very convicted. In Matthew chapter 18, or excuse me, yeah, 18 verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven... It's like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, a debt crazy. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded he be sold with his wife and children all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Notice, then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. And what happened? He turned right around to someone that owed him a pittance. He said, Pay me what you owe, pay me what you owe. And he couldn't, but he set, fell down with the same, the same plea Get, Be patient, I'll pay you as I can. But when, it, when the other fellow servants saw what was going they told the master, we read in chapter 18, verse 32, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, for for I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures that he should pay. This is a, it's just a, a warning, a, a picture, a parable, say, Hey, what we need to do is be broken. In what God has done for us and released us. In chapter 5, verse 4, no man takes this honor to himself, but he was called by God just as Aaron was. Aaron and every high priest was called by God in these matters of compassion and intercession. The high priest was a tremendous, God appointed honor, not self appointed but a birthright to the tribe of Levi, born into it, if you will. Now, we have been called, we are the holy priesthood, the same matter. Aaron and every high priest after was pointing ahead to Jesus. These qualifications foreshadow him. Number three, Jesus, our forever high priest. Verse five, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So he's going to give us a couple scriptures back in the Old Testament, which he's done, he'll do often. He says, he did not go before, it was he who said to him, you are, a pre- you are my son, today I have begotten you. Listen, Jesus called by God, son. He is the son of God. He was sent to fulfill the promises that God made to his people. Psalm 2, we read it. No, we didn't. We will read it next time. Psalm 2, verse 6, is where this is quoted from. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. It's a messianic psalm that looks to the future reign of Jesus Christ, the fulfiller. Acts 13, Paul's teaching a synagogue in Antioch. He says this. He talks about this verse pointing to, again, in verse 33. God has fulfilled this for us, his children, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as is also written in the second psalm, you are my son to have begotten He's pointing to Jesus being the fulfillment, called to fulfill these things that God had promised. Verse 6. As he also says, in another place, you are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus called by God, son. He's called by God, a priest, forever. Now, how long is forever? Forever. (laughs) This Melchizedek guy shows up out of nowhere, and then he's gone. In Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. We'll get this in Hebrews, but Abram actually tithed. Then Melchizedek, so he shows up sort of out of nowhere and then gone. And then you get to Psalm 110, which we did in our responsive reading, and he shows up again out of nowhere, and then he's gone again. But these are very important little nowheres that are somewhere, and that's where they are in the Bible. Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will I write, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Genesis, Psalms, and then what happens? Nothing with this Melchizedek name until we get to Hebrews, where it's mentioned 11 times or 9 times all in Hebrews. So obviously, we're going to get some instruction on this man called, this priest Melchizedek. It says, of whom, Paul said, writer of Hebrews says, of whom we have much to say. Now, as with any good teacher, he has much to say. And he will say it. And so we're going to get to that. But we'll get that in Hebrews chapter 7. But Jesus is our high priest forever. I want to focus a little bit on forever in the book of Hebrews because it's the same amazing thing that we get some encouragement, inspiration from this word forever because he starts in Hebrews 1.9 and says, but to the son he says, your throne, O God, is what? Forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So he begins with Jesus on the throne. He is enthroned. He's God. And then four times following... In Hebrews 5, 6, 6, 20, 7, 17, and 21, he quotes, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Four times, pointing to Jesus. Then we get now in Hebrews as we go through what that means for us. Hebrews 10, 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering he has perfected Forever, those who are being sanctified, that's you and me, completing the work that God started. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Woo! And then the benediction that he closes it out with, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, how long? Forever and ever. Let me hear it. That's the forever high priest. His name is Jesus. He was called by God to suffer in the flesh. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, this is tough stuff the question arises as to how Jesus can really understand what we go through as sinners in that he himself had no sin. He never sinned. Friends, the answer to that question was heard in the agonizing cries that echoed out of that dark garden called Gethsemane. The answer was heard as Jesus cried for God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Pointing to Psalm 22 that someone might read it. They thought, He's calling for Elijah. No, no, no. He's finishing the work that God prophesied hundreds of years before. Read it. It's answered when we see Jesus on that cross suffering in our place for sin. You know, on the VBS, I've been to a lot of VBSs. This one was different in this way. On Wednesday, the theme was Jesus' suffering on the cross. His death. And the sadness that was there. One of the young girls in our church, the Beavers girl, did this little monologue up here. Came out crying, she was Mary Magdalene, crying about the sadness of what she saw and what had happened. I'm telling you, this this room was silent. As the Holy Spirit sort of echoed through this sadness that swept over and the darkness that swept over. Does Jesus understand what we go through? He understands it perfectly. When he surrendered himself in perfect obedience to God, suddenly thrust upon him was the shock and horror of sin. The suffering that sin causes, the separation that sin brings, Something Jesus had never known before was laid upon him, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's something we can't even begin to enter into, but in Matthew, we read this. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrow, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And Luke picks it up, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done, that an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthened him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down again, the excruciating pressures for you, for me, and for you. Does he understand? He does perfectly. A person who has been all his life accustomed to moral evil is far less likely to realize its hideousness. One who has always been surrounded by purity and has had no experience of vice or degradation is different. Jesus, forsaken by all, surrendered by, suffered by himself in perfect obedience to God. Jesus, facing agonizing death, surrendered himself in perfect obedience to God. Jesus, falsely accused, sacrificed himself in perfect obedience to God. Jesus, perfectly and completely, surrendered his sinless life to God as an offering. Jesus would not escape death, but delivered through death. Into your hands, he said, I commit my spirit. In so doing, he would destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus, without sin and perfect obedience, bore all our sins in his own body. Jesus never sinned in perfect obedience. He died for our sins on the cross. Jesus knew no sin in perfect obedience. He died in our place on account of our sin. Hebrews 2.10, it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in making the captive self perfect through suffering. We're on holy ground, would you say? Jesus is the perfect man who represents us before God. He is the compassionate mediator who brings us back to God. He is the great and forever high priest in all things pertaining to God. He is the forever high priest. Hold fast your confession. Put your faith in Jesus and let it rest there. He was called by God as a source of eternal salvation. Having been perfected, verse 9, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah. When he made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his soul and be satisfied. Isaiah. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. There is one God and a mediator between God and men and man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. First Peter, who committed no sin nor his deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, but who by whose Uh, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judged. He committed himself in complete surrender, submission, and sacrifice in obedience to God. (laughs) He's our great high priest, our forever high priest. God knows all about you. He knows all about me not a thing is hidden from his sight. He knows your every weakness. He knows your every temptation. He knows when you're being tempted to give away and give in, when you're tempted to retaliate and fight back, to lose your temper and say things you ought not. He knows the powerful drive for human acceptance and applause and the things that you do and I do to gain it. He knows every circumstance and every pressure and how quick I am, and you are to excuse our sin because of them. Nothing is hidden from his sight. But listen, he came. He he died. He rose again, and he ascended. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty on high in the heavens. Right now and forever. And he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you ask or think. And as the brokenness comes over, as the hunger comes over, as the thirst comes over, he is there to help us. He is our great forever high priest. Wow. Hold fast your confession, dear brother and sister in the Lord. Put your faith in Jesus and let it rest there. And find the rest. Find the strength and find the renewal that comes as you hear him say, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am, lo- I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And I hope as we continue through Hebrews, this rest that Paul talked about, this rest that's ours, that the word of God that's been given to us, the Holy Spirit of God, and God's service, all these things, we begin to take root in our hearts in ways it never has begin to invade every nook and cranny of our lives so that we understand there is freedom for us now in Christ Jesus, in the continual work he's doing for us because of his compassion. Would you stand? Let's close with the song. Lord, we're thankful for your word, that you are good, gracious beyond all measure. You are kind and gentle, lowly of heart. And you came, and in you we have seen the heart of God given to us. Thank you for dying on that cross for our sins. And as we sing this last song to you, Lord, I pray you to receive our praise to you because you are worthy no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're going through. You are our rock. You are the anchor of our soul. You are the one to whom we give praise, honor, and glory forever and ever, even now, in closing this time we've had in your word. In Jesus' name.